1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to This is the Place, a podcast channel from The Common magazine on the New Books Network. The Common publishes literature and art with a modern sense of place. Today, we'll be talking to David Maloney about his story in the spring issue of The Common. I'm Emily Everett, managing editor of the magazine and host of the channel. Today's guest, David Maloney, worked in the Hillsborough County Department of Corrections in New Hampshire from 2007 to 2011. He received a BA in English and Creative Writing from the University of Massachusetts Lowell, where he now teaches. We published his story, Council, in issue 19 of The Common this past spring. Council is an excerpt from David's book, Barker House, published earlier this year by Bloomsbury. David Maloney, thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: Great. Um, I wonder if you could begin by describing where you're living now, where you're calling from, so we have a sense of place for this conversation.
0: So I am in Lowell, Massachusetts. Um, I've lived in Lowell my whole life. And I, um, I'm i in my house up on, up on Christian Hill. It's the highest point in Lowell. So I can see all the, the trees, the tops of the trees and the foliage. Um, yeah.
1: That's great. That's great. I think Lowell's a mill town, is that right? Is that how you would describe it?
0: It is. Um, and... The Merrimack River sort of runs right through Lowell and um, so all along the river, the the old mill buildings are now um, apartments.
1: Oh, wow. That's great.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, thank you for setting the scene for us. I'd love it if you could read two paragraphs from the opening of your story and then describe what the piece is about for our listeners who may not have read it yet.
0: Sure. Council. I work alone on the restricted unit in the Barker County Correctional Facility in New Hampshire. It's a semi-circular room, the curved wall lined with nine cells. Most of the day, the inmates press their faces to scuffed windows, silent. There were no bars. The architects went with rosewood steel doors. Rosewood, the color of Merlot. On Tuesday and Saturday mornings, I supervise inmates while they shave in their cells. We don't leave them alone with razors. I try to talk with them, like we're just in the locker room, hanging out while one of us shaves. Some don't talk. I imagine that, cutting their whiskers before a scratched plastic mirror. They think of the other mirrors they've shaved in front of, the rooms those mirrors were in, and maybe that keeps them silent.
1: That's great. Thank you for reading that. I know that parts of Barker House are based on your experience working in a correctional facility, but could you tell us how you came to write this story specifically?
0: So I spent a lot of my time working um, a unit very much like this, where it was mostly inmates with mental health problems and they couldn't um, they couldn't be in general population for a number of reasons. And so it would always just be me and one other person, one inmate out and they would shower and write letters, use the phone and then go back in. And it was a pretty lonely place uh, to work, you know, eight uh, or 16-hour shifts. And um, I was very much like this character in the story makings. And sometimes when you work in places like this, um, it's hard to connect with, you know, um, people outside of, of that job. So if I went to a dinner party or something... I always found it hard to hold a conversation about work because um it's it's really hard to to paint that picture for people what you do all day. And so a lot of times I would just um you know stay alone um and so it kind of I kind of wanted to show um the difficulties of working a job like this especially when you have um you know like a drinking problem or um, you don't really have friends uh, to talk to um, and so it's kind of a it's the first story in my book, and I guess it kind of sets the tone um for the re- for the rest of the book but um I also worked in a um in a mental hospital in Tuxbury, Tewksbury state hospital, and I did um counseling there with juveniles and um I kind of always wanted to write about that as well. So there, there's sort of his history working in a juvenile facility that comes up in the story too.
1: Yeah. It seems like there's a real sense in the, in the character of the, this need to, to talk and be listened to both in, in the prisoner in the inmates and in the, the uh, security officer. Um, and I could see that that coming from this experience of, of having these big experiences and not, not really being able to talk about them afterwards.
0: Yeah. And you know um i don't know it's it's a job where you work with a lot of people um you know in the muster room before the shift everyone's talking and chatting and then you all get sent to like these different um posts in the jail and then you're like alone again um and so it's it it feels like a lot of people you 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 know you could talk to but uh, the minute i punched out of there uh, I never wanted to talk to anyone that, that I had just worked with. And so it's a very um, solitary job.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that. As I think you know, the Common publishes writing with a modern sense of place. Uh, so I wonder if you could talk a bit about the role setting plays in this story. Um, much of the action takes place inside the facility, but New Hampshire is also very present here and very cold.
0: Yeah, um, we're getting some snow um, in this story. and. So New Hampshire, um, you know this takes place in Barker County, which is um, fictional, um, but you know if if you were to to have to pick a place it would it would resemble Hillsborough County, which is the largest county in New Hampshire, um, and that's where I worked and you know it has the bigger cities like Nashua and Manchester and um, and so it's really close to Lowell because um i'm I'm about you know two miles from the New Hampshire border, and so I always um, worked worked in New Hampshire, but lived in Massachusetts, and that a lot of people do do that around here. Um, and so this takes place in in uh, in southern New Hampshire, and <clears throat> there's a, there's also like I kind of wrote this book and the story. Um, I wrote this one in the winter, and it took me about a year to write my first draft. and so as as the stories move along and the chapters move along, so do the seasons. and uh, and it was just kind of whatever season I was writing in <laughs> made it in into the story. Um, it, that's something that I love about, especially right now in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, the The foliage, but the changing of the seasons, um, I don't think I could live anywhere where I didn't experience all four of them.
1: Yeah, they're pretty hard to ignore here. It's definitely noticeable, Um, but it's great because it comes through a lot in the writing as well, which is really atmospheric. Your book, Barker House, debuted in April to some amazing reviews, but I can imagine that this was a difficult year to put out a debut novel. Could you tell us a little bit about that experience, like what it's like publishing in a pandemic?
0: Yeah, um, it's been tough. <laughs> my, my book came out almost the day we shut down our state. Um, and so I didn't get to have, you know, that launch party I had reserved, um, like a room and I was just going to throw a big party. And, um, and so that got canceled. And then all of my, my, um, my events got canceled. All the bookstores closed, libraries, um, and so it was really tough because I, I was promoting something that I had worked, you know, almost five years on and um, people really weren't interested in in celebrating anything <laughs> at, at that moment. Um, it was very surreal and we really didn't, you know, know what was what was going to happen. And so um, a lot of the, the pre-orders on Amazon um weren't sent because they were prioritizing toilet paper (laughs) over books at the time. Um, And so I had some angry emails like, how come I didn't get my book? And so they didn't realize, you know, I wasn't Amazon, but, um, and I I just knew like my book was in these boxes in bookstores and that no one was going to be reading them. And so it was kind of, it's kind of a bummer, but I think a lot of people rallied around authors whose books came out in April and May. And so I thought that was really cool to see. Um, And I did a lot of my events on Zoom before we were kind of Zoom fatigued. Um, So the first few events got a a good um, viewership because I think people did want to support writers uh, because they knew how... Awful of a time it was to release release a book. Yeah,
1: it was a very difficult time, but I did I did see a lot of those the, the, the rallying around authors with new books coming out in the spring. Um, I'm glad that was helpful. Um, I'm always fascinated by novels and stories. I wonder if you could tell us about the process of putting it together. Did you always know it would be a novel? Did you think it would just be a few stories?
0: Yeah i I wrote a collection, and mostly just to you know to get all these stories out of me and the first draft was very different than the final draft um because i spent the next year with my agent uh finding ways we could have like a through line to connect them all and i thought we could do that i mean they all take place in the same setting at the jail but i thought we could there could be a character that kind of brings them all together and. And so I did that with one of my characters, Mentor. And I, you know, I I read a lot of, one of my favorite books is um, Olive Kitteridge um, by Elizabeth Strout. And I, I love the effect that book had uh, the first time I read it because I thought it was just going to be all about um, Olive. And um, the way she comes in and out of that, it kind of mimicked, you know, real life for me. You know, um, we have characters in our lives that, that leave and then we don't know they're going to play a role again and they come back years later. And so I kind of, um, treated the book that way. Uh, you know, you spend some time with the character in the beginning of the book and then he's gone and then maybe he comes up in just a passing, uh, sentence or two later. And it's kind of like that. Oh, I remember him feeling. And, you know, you get that with Jennifer Egan's a visit from the goon squad. Um, Mm -hmm. and I just, thought there was something fun and pleasing about trying to do that myself. uh, I think it was a lot harder than I expected (laughs) Um, because each story has to stand on its own, but it also has to mean something to the other ones. And uh, so I had a lot of sticky notes spread out everywhere and um, making sure the timeline matched up and, um, you know, the characters. I was juggling a lot of characters which if i had written a novel i would have just followed probably one of them um so it was a lot of moving parts but um i kind of missed the process I, i had a lot of fun um doing it was probably my favorite part of the process was spreading everything out and and seeing how i could connect them all
1: That definitely sounds like a lot of moving parts to keep track of. But I also think, I mean, it seems like a great way to explore what is sort of like an insular, isolated setting. Like it could feel kind of claustrophobic, but because the stories are coming and going and weaving in and out of each other, I feel like it kind of opens it up a lot.
0: Yeah, I my initial idea was to write this big, fat novel about um, an officer's, you know, entire career working in the jail. And I probably wrote, 200 pages of that, um, but it was dense and boring. (laughs) Even I was bored um, while writing it. And I I realized then that this type of setting and and this type of content, uh, I I needed multiple voices to carry it, you know, um, because you have some funny stories in here, some really heavy. um, And so I I wanted to be able to mix that emotion uh, with you know, different characters telling each each one. And it also made it exciting for me because um, I, I think I'm a short story writer at heart. Uh, I find it um, exciting when I open a, a blank page and start a new story and have no idea what I'm going to write about. I feel like right now I'm working on like a, a novel and I'm pretty deep. And the further I get away from the shore, I want to swim back. <laughs> um, and it's a scary uh task, and short stories I can always i feel like I can say i'm you know I finished that one, and now I can move on to another one with the novel. It just feels like you just keep keep going <laughs> to no end,
1: yeah, yeah, it does. I'm working on one too, so I definitely <laughs> sympathize with that feeling,
0: yeah, i seem I return to short stories more as when I write. You know when i when I know the novel sitting there, I kind of shy shy away from the computer um and find like other things in the house to do. But when I have a good short story going i i I need to get back to the computer and and get back to writing It's just something more I'm just excited about stories, I guess more than that, more than writing a novel
1: that yeah that that is a good feeling when you're dying to get back to it yeah, uh, you said it took you a year to write this story, I think. Did you have, like, what were your difficulties? Was that mostly revision? Was that mostly generation?
0: Um, it was mostly revision. Uh, and I, you know, four or five stories didn't even make the book. Um, but uh, it's just because they they didn't fit. But um, this story, it's actually funny. Uh, Counsel, the one that's in this issue, uh, it was the longest story in the book. It was over 30 pages and it was called something completely different. It was called uh, "Distant Birds in Flight," and I actually wanted to name the book that uh, when I was working on it. And um, and I we cut it down to uh to like eleven pages, and so I had to cut out a whole. There was a whole storyline of um of making going to AA meetings and meeting a woman there and um like a relationship and uh, it was a much different. Story, but it was also I felt like I was doing like this cliche AA meeting thing that I didn't really like, and but I didn't want to get rid of um, the character Jenna, but I mm-hmm. I had to. Uh, it was one of those I'll always be bummed that I that I had to cut that. But I think it it became a, a tighter story, um, and it's you know the, uh, being the first story in the book, it kind of gives you like a gut punch right off the bat, and. And I, that's what I, I wanted to do. The the other one was sort of it had a, a happier ending, <laughs> um, and I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the happy endings. So
1: yeah, I think the story has a really great tone to it, like this really matter of fact, business like tone, which is just it works so well with that gut punch feeling that you're talking about. Like it, it, there's no melodrama here. It, this is just brass tacks and and it's difficult situations, but they're not being you know expounded upon or anything like that. I do think that's very effective.
0: Yeah, I I wanted it to you know, I I I was really aware of, of how I was going to uh, like order these chapters. I I treated it almost like a when we used to burn CDs and make like playlists. Um,
1: <laughs> I remember.
0: I would I would spend way long and then I'd want to admit um ordering the songs just the way they like hit you, you know, like the fifth song had to be like the slow one and the first one had to be fast. And, <laughs> um, and I did that with the, with the book. So, uh, I treated it like a playlist.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Um, I feel like the story deals with these power dynamics, um, between the prisoners and the correctional officers. Um, and I'm curious if you started with that idea in mind, or did it just come to you through the characters or is it so familiar to you from your experiences that it's just sort of like organic to the material?
0: Yeah, it it felt it felt organic uh, when I was writing it. I I tried not to think about like the theme um, in in the story. I kind of just wanted to tell Mankin's story. And then there's a moment where he slams his boot on on the stool, and he kind of imagines himself as like this powerful person. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think he wants that. He wants this he wants to feel important and um, and he has to do it with these with these inmates because really no one else in his life is um, thinks he's very important. And I don't know, I, I feel like that tells the story of a lot of officers um, who once they put the badge on and the uniform and they shave their head and their boots, they become like this other person. Um, you know, they put on this persona that, uh, people in their daily lives wouldn't even recognize, uh, and I feel like that's sort of what Makins is doing when when he's kind of torturing the inmates by opening the the door while they shower. It's because that's really because he can do that, and so he does. Um, and I think that happens a lot when when we're given power over someone else. Sometimes we don't even know why we're 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 doing. You know, bad things. Um, it's just I don't know. It's something about the psychology of, of power that, that allows us to kind of get away with it. Yeah,
1: I have to say, the second time he he kicked the door open while the prisoners were showering, I was quite surprised. I, I hadn't seen that that was where it was going, and it was just, it's a really powerful shift, I think. Uh, and it you know it really makes sense for the character too. I mean, like even his therapist doesn't really listen to him very much, so I think it makes sense that he would need that sort of like one place where he can feel powerful and, and where people have to listen to him.
0: Yeah. And he, and you know, there's worse things that he could be doing. Um, Absolutely. But that's also not cool um, <laughs> to be doing that. Is But that was a common tactic was how can I make their day worse than my day? Right. And, mm. and that's sort of what he's, what he's up to.
1: Yeah. Um, so it looks like you do work with Changing Lives Through Literature, which is a program that teaches literature classes to inmates. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, it's a bibliotherapy um, class. And it's been around, I think, since the the late 80s. And um, I actually teach it with um, men and women on parole. Um, and so we do it in a college classroom, I treat it as much as I would a college literature class, except we don't do papers or tests. It's mostly, um, I give them a reading, something that uh, is character-driven, uh, and that instead of talking about their issues, um, we talk about the character's issues. And I, I always have that moment in class where I see them talking about a character's actions, and like a light bulb goes on. They realize mm-hmm. like what I'm doing um, without actually doing it. Cause if we called it therapy, no one would go. And so <laughs> um, we, we just read really good books. Um, you know, we read Tony Morris and Sula um, and we read, uh, we read the Turner house and it just, it lets them, I don't know, talk about these issues by putting them on the characters and not talking about their own issues. And so there's a judge in the class, the judge that um, gives them the option for taking it. And there's two probation officers in the class. And then there's typically 10 to 14 um, men and women. And we just, we talk about the books and when they graduate, they graduate in the same courtroom that they um, were sentenced in. And we have we stop the morning session, and we have a kind of like a like a ceremony. I give them a gift, usually a book. I um, <laughs> want them to keep reading. And then um, the judge usually clears the rest of their time, or um, she waives all of their money, their fee, their court wow. fees, which is to be honest, a lot of the reasons why the, mm-hmm. they do it in the first place. Because when you're on probation, you have to pay. I think it's like sixty eight dollars a month. Um, and court fees, and then if you don't pay them, you know you'll violate your pro- probation. Mm-hmm. So it's just a really um, terrible system. And so that's like the big when you know they get fourteen hundred dollars waived in court fees it's kind of like a big cheer um, in the courtroom. And but I've had um, I've had students come back even after they were done um, with their probation. They would come to class just because they they loved it so much and. It's the it's the consistency, the you have to be here at Wednesday at five kind of thing. Um and I think, you know, we like routine and just being in that routine, like I know they'll they'll say Maloney's gonna yell at me if I haven't read it, so I gotta read forty pages today and um I don't know, it's just it's the favorite, my favorite thing I do um is teach that class. I love it.
1: Yeah, it sounds really incredible and, and transformative and also fun, <laughs> which is great.
0: Yeah. We get to talk about books.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Most of us would do that for free. So it's great that there are benefits to them as well for doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, One last question. Uh, What are you working on now? What's next? Tell us about the novel.
0: So it's, um, it's based in Lowell and it uh, follows two uh, panhandlers and, um, and sort of their, their daily lives, but there's also um, a park ranger and, it's sort of a thriller but not I w- I don't know if I'm allowed to call it a thriller because um <laughs> it's really slow moving so <laughs> it doesn't it has some of the tropes of the thriller but it's I it's, I needed to write something outside um I I was I was spending too much time in the in the prison walls and the jail walls and so I, I I'm very much writing a book that takes place in summer and is people are really indoors. <laughs> I just, there was only so many ways I could describe a concrete wall. <laughs> um, mm. And I kind of wanted to write about something different. This is very much a different um, book than, than the, than Barker house because the prose in Barker house, I had to spare it down so much. Um, and now I can finally go back to, you know, metaphor and, mm-hmm. And, and figurative language, the the fun stuff, and I I find um, in writing, and and I really had to restrain myself when I was writing Barker House. So I'm kind of letting loose <laughs> with this one. I'm sure there'll be a lot of um, a lot of edits made when it's done because I got too flowery or excited <laughs> with my language. But um, but yeah. So hopefully my goal was to be done in May, but um, I found it pretty hard to write the last you know 5 months with everything mm-hmm. going on. So it's a it's it's slowed down a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, well it do, it does sound nice to to like while we're all stuck inside during a pandemic to write a story where everyone's outside in the summer. That sounds cathartic.
0: Yes, it is very much. I keep writing about the the hot days and mm-hmm. you no, know, <laughs> the- I'm, I'm already missing
1: it. <laughs> yeah, those are behind us now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Well great. Uh thanks so much for joining us, David. It's been great to talk with you.
0: Yeah, thank you too for having me.
1: Listeners, you can read David's story counsel and subscribe to the latest issue at the commononline.org.